Christ is risen. Amen. We're getting better at that every year. A little bit of liturgy there. Uh, I, I, I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. It's really good to see all of you here on this Sunday morning, um, Easter morning, celebrating the resurrection of Christ. I, I had every intention of, of, you know, usually on Easter, I, I try to dress up like a real preacher um, and uh, have a suit coat. And I, I have a, I, I have, there's a suit coat and shoes right over there. I, I, I was going to wear them, but, but man, I, I can either be formal and very sweaty or informal and a little bit cooler. I, that was a workout, was it not? But I love it. I love it. I, 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 I know everyone has a different kind of taste, and I love to have those kind of soft, mellow, contemplative romance God songs, but, but I also like it funky. Oh, I, I, I like it funky. I, I, you, you, one of the criteria you should use to evaluate worship songs is danceability. Can you dance to it? And it, I, just, I just love it. It's a form of worship, you know. In the Bible, it's biblical to move your feet. I, I, I don't get how people can listen to funky stuff like that and not move their feet. I, I, I find it impossible. So there's that. Well, um, this morning I want to talk on, uh, entitled this, A Different Kind of Hope. A Different Kind of Hope that we're given in Christ Jesus. And I'll just kind of prime the pump with this verse. Uh, Romans 8 says this. Paul says, that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. An incredible passage. The sufferings of this present time. You know, I, I would have been happy to break even. You know, it's like when you look at this world and all the suffering that's going on here, if it, if it was worth it, that would have been good enough. But it's more than worth it. In fact, it's not only more than worth it, it's incomparably more than worth it. It's on a different scale. So Paul is saying that the good news is gooder than the bad news is bad. In fact, it's incomparably gooder. How's that for English? I don't know how you'd communicate that there. But, uh, so it's got incredible good news. Now, I'm going to talk about that incredible good news in a little bit. But first... Um, I find that, that often you only appreciate the good when you contrast it with the bad. And to fully appreciate the good news, uh, you need to fully appreciate the bad news. Or we could say it like this. Um, to fully appreciate the incomprehensible, beautiful glory that's going to be revealed to us, we need to first appreciate the full magnitude of the sufferings of this present age that's not worth comparing to it. All right? So the first part of this message, I'm going to be looking at some bad news. I know we've been so festive here, and I hate to be a downer, but, 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 but uh, we need to take a look at this. And, and here's the thing. There's nothing I'm going to share that I, I think should surprise anybody because it's on the news all the time. But when you bring it all together, like we're going to do here in the next 10 minutes or so, uh, it's, it's pretty depressing. Uh, so we're going to have a 10-minute depression party, all right? But, but I don't want anybody, you know, running out of here or whatever, hang in there, because I promise you that once we go down this little tour of misery lane, uh, there, we'll get to some spectacular good news, and after our little tour of misery, that good news is going to taste so much better, all right? So hang in there. Um, and so to prime the pump for this depression party we're going to have for the next 10 minutes, uh, our, communications put, our communications team put together this, this, this totally miserable, utterly unedifying 90-second uh, video. So let's all watch this and get depressed. I, I genuinely do not understand how America can be this disorganized or this hateful. We hate the Jew, and if you support them or sympathize with them, well then we hate you too. 
It feels like we're trying to avoid the apocalypse and half of the country is voting for the asteroid. Explosion has occurred at an Ariana Grande concert, multiple fatalities and multiple injuries. The largest ice sheet in the northern hemisphere is simply melting away. And just as we were leaving the classroom, our um, outside uh, wall uh, collapsed. This was an act of terror. We got multiple casualties. This is a mass casualty situation here. Running over cyclists and pedestrians along the way. The stock market is now down 21%. 43%. It was the worst day on Wall Street since the crash of 1987. White nationalists and counter-protesters blamed each other for the violence that erupted in Charlottesville on Saturday. The car just plowed through. Hundreds of people. Cicero was right. We're in the last days of this country. Shoppers pushed and shoved their way through Black Friday today. A 13-year-old girl helping a pregnant woman get up had to be taken away by ambulance. Another woman who was injured was taken to the hospital. The death toll from the California mudslides is rising as search and rescue crews race against time to find survivors in the rubble. Suicide bombing, gunfire, ISIS, chaos and panic, collapse of civilization. In case you thought I was kidding when I said it was going to be depressing, I wasn't. It's pretty, pretty depressing stuff when you bring that all together and, and take a look at that. What's sad is that that, that was not a caricature of reality. Um, that's the kind of thing that we hear day in and day out uh, on, on news. Um, and when you hear that kind of news day in and day out, well, it's easy to start to feel hopeless, maybe cynical. Um, and you ask the question, how is America going to survive? Or how is humanity going to survive? There's the stuff that's, that's going on. Let's take a look at this. I go a little deeper with it. We've got some serious problems. Would you agree with that? We've got some serious problems. Uh, as was indicated on the video there, our planet is heating up. That's a problem. Uh, in fact, you hear some scientists talk about this, and I don't know if you've heard them or not, but some get rather apocalyptic about this. Uh, there's a debate about whether, you know, the, the degree to which human beings are causing this warming. Uh, but whatever the cause, it's happening. In fact, it's happening pretty fast. I, I just read this report that last month, this group of scientists uh, discerned that the uh, ice sheets in the northern hemisphere are melting at almost twice the pace that they anticipated three years ago which means that the ocean levels are rising faster than they thought. And this report said that in 20 to 30 years, um, many of the coastal cities along the coast on the ocean are going to be flooded unless we spend trillions and trillions of dollars building walls to keep the, the ocean out. And they're saying that, that storms are, are going to increase in their destructiveness and, and their severity, and they're going to increase in their, their frequency. In fact, this is already happening. I don't know if you know this or not, but Houston, in the last three years, has each year, each consecutive year, had a storm. It's in the category of one every 500 years. That means ordinarily that storm is so severe, it would happen only once every 500 years. And they've had it for three years straight. And that's not the only location that's experiencing things like this. All over the globe, you know, records are being set and, and, and we're seeing that these weather patterns changing. And they're saying that's going to screw up the ecology in all sorts of ways. And these scientists get rather apocalyptic. You know, they, we, we get, we Minnesotans get chided quite a bit for living up here in the frozen tundra. Oh, how can you guys live up there? It's so cold during the winters. But I'll tell you this, our, our, our real estate's going up. I think this is the smart place to live. 
there's not a coast, you know, close to us. Uh, and, and we don't get those kind of, you know, severe storms. Uh, everyone says, oh, it's so nice to go down, you know, down there in the south where it's nice and warm. Yeah, well, they got hurricanes, all right? And, and, and the tornado alley, and they're getting battered all the time. We don't have that up here. Sure, we got mosquitoes, but I'll take mosquitoes over hurricanes and stuff. So I think if, if you're into real estate, I would invest in Minnesota. This is a smart place to live. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. So... Global warming is one problem. Here in America, we've got, and this is just so discouraging, but school shootings are becoming almost regular, like expected, like it's about time. And we have other mass shootings that are, are just skyrocketing uh, all over the place. And we, we hear almost on a weekly basis about some terrorist going in and blowing up himself and some other people or mowing people down with their truck or, or whatever. And most agree that this threat of terror is not going to go away. Because you just can't track down, keep track of, and eradicate all terrorists. There's no way to do it. So it's a, this is a new phenomenon. It's a, there, wherever you go, if it's a crowded place, like the Mall of America, you know that there's a slight chance that you could get blown up. And that, that's never been on our radar screen before. Things have changed. Then we've got these humanitarian crises all over the globe where we have these failed states, and, and, and there's civil war, and... Millions of civilians and children get caught in the crossfire and get wounded, get shot, or in many cases, they're starving to death. Places like, like Syria and Yemen and South Sudan, Central African Republic, Myanmar, Afghanistan, Libya. It's, it's absolutely catastrophic what's going on with these people. It breaks, breaks your heart. Then we've got unpredictable, unpredictable and volatile regimes like North Korea. And you have the tenuous, tenuous situation with Iran. And there's always a tenuous situation between Palestine and Israel. In fact, 15 people were killed there just yesterday. And now we've got the bare-chested, ego-needy Vladimir Putin, who has now showed off his, two days ago, showed off his new, super-improved transcontinental nuclear missile. Isn't that wonderful? Why, you know, we haven't had an arms race for a while. It's about time. Let's get, you know, let's rekindle that thing. What else are you going to waste your billions and billions of dollars on? It's not like there's kids that are hungry or anything, right? And, and see, that, that was, that, that's the cynicism. And that, that's what it does to me. When I see this stuff, it makes me cynical. And it's, it's so stupid. It just drives you crazy. But that's the reality that we live in. Then here in America, we've got racist groups have been emboldened and they're speaking out and doing more things and, and shuffling things up. And, and, and we've got this, this racial tension throughout the country. Um, and in fact, I don't think that this racial tension that's just beneath the surface and pops up on certain occasions, that's not going to go away, folks, until America as a nation is willing to take a good, hard look at our violent racist past and a good, hard look at the way racism still permeates the social structure and permeates our justice system. But sadly, I don't see anyone in our political machinery that's got a will or a desire to take a look at that. And so it goes on and on. And maybe, perhaps for Americans, what would be most depressing is this. There are a, a number of social scientists who are saying that America is in the process of coming undone at the seams. Uh, the, the social fabric is, is beginning to fray. Uh, it, it's... Uh, well, it, it, part of the reason, I think a large part of the reason, is that more and more people are spending more and more time in echo chambers created by cable news and other social medias that have their own agendas there. And so in these echo chambers, people's, people's belief system, their opinions just get reinforced um, and, and they get hardened to the point where a lot of people don't even want to try to understand people who disagree with them. They just want to call them idiots and demonize them and vilify them. 
And there, there's a number of social scientists and others who say that democracy depends on two things. The general population has to have some shared, trusted source of information. Uh, and, and the general population has to have some shared trust in foundational institutions like the presidency uh, and the CIA and the Department of Justice and the FBI. But a lot of people are observing that we have seemed to have lost that, at least right now. We seem to have lost that common trust. And, and honestly, in the light of cable news um, and those other privatized social media, I'm not sure how we can ever get it back. How, how, how do you run, have a republic when, you, when people, there's no shared source of information. When one person's trusted news is the other person's fake news. And you can't even agree upon some basic facts. How do you discuss anything? And so there's a number of social scientists that are very pessimistic about uh, the future of America. It's, uh, and I, I am not, I know I sound like it right now. I know I sound like it, but I'm not a chicken little sky is falling kind of a guy. I'm not an alarmist. I'm really not. Um, but, but when you step back and take a look at all of this, the whole picture, it's not hard to understand why a lot of people are feeling pretty hopeless and gloom and doom right now. And I even, haven't even mentioned any of the personal reasons why you might have to feel hopeless. Right? There's plenty of those around. You may be feeling hopeless because you're, you're, you're in a failing marriage and you don't have any hope for it. Or maybe you're feeling hopeless because you're not married and you're getting older and you're losing hope that you'll ever find a, a, a suitable partner. Or maybe you're losing hope because your, your kid, your precious child, is screwing up their life with their decisions and is going down a road of destruction. Or maybe you're feeling hopeless because you've just been told that you've got cancer or some other kind of terminal illness. Or, or maybe you're doing hopeless because you don't think you're going to ever kick that drug addiction. Or maybe you're feeling hopeless because you're 55 and unemployed and there just aren't any job prospects out there and you can't afford to retire. Or maybe you're feeling hopeless because you've got a job and it sucks and it's just driving you crazy, and, but you can't afford to get out of that. There's all these personal reasons we might have for doing hopeless, uh, but there's these national and, and, and global. So on every level, it seems that life right now is doing a good job of sucking life, sucking hope out of people. Uh, and what's, what's, what's particularly tragic about this, folks, is that human beings need hope. We run on hope. We, we live on hope. Without a hope, without something that you can be positive about and confident about the future, it's hard. In fact, it's impossible to really feel uh, any kind of, be, feel fully alive or to feel joy. It's even hard to be motivated to do anything if you don't have some kind of hope. So that the all-important question is, is, in a world that can easily drive you to a state of hopelessness, where do you find hope? So if you find anything, will you let me know? Because I, I you know, and, and I'll, I'll think, talk about it next week. God bless you guys. Have a great day. <laughs> I'm too depressed. I want to get out of here. Okay, should I change the subject? Yeah, yeah okay. Please do. <laughs> please. I'm off myself. Okay. Well, look at, uh, let's talk about something a little more pleasant. I'll start with this. The early disciples knew very well what it was to lose all hope. Um, you know, the, the Jewish people had for centuries been living under the oppressive regimes of pagan rulers. Um, and, and it was brutal. And at the time of Jesus, they were being ruled by the oppressive regime of Rome, and they were the worst of all. Rome, Rome ruled with terror. Uh, if some group rebelled against them or didn't do what they want, they'd round them up and crucify them on the hillside. And, it, and leave them there for three days. And it was their way of saying, don't mess with us. If you mess with us, this is what happens. And that's how they kept the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. It, it was through terror. And, and the Jewish people were under this, and it was miserable. 
And not only was it miserable being under this foreign regime, but, but it was an insult to their theology. It, it grieved them because they believed that they knew the one true God. So how can it be that the people who know the one true God are under the subjection of these pagans who don't know God? It was miserable. But see, they had read in their Hebrew Bible about a Messiah who was going to come and deliver Israel, going to defeat their foes, liberate Israel, and restore it back to its former glory. And so that was the hope that they had hung on for centuries. Although, given that for centuries nothing had changed, in fact, things had only gotten worse, some people around the time of Jesus were losing their faith. And they're concluding that there is no Messiah and there is no hope. So along comes Jesus. And something about the authority of Jesus, the authority that he spoke with, and the wisdom of Jesus, and the life of Jesus, but, but also, especially the supernatural power of Jesus, the miracles that he did, uh, he convinced his disciples and many other people that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. In fact, he made some incredible claims for divinity about himself. And so those claims, combined with his supernatural power, had convinced the disciples that in some mysterious way, God himself was present in Jesus. And that later got worked out as the doctrine of the Incarnation. But after three years of ministering with, with Jesus, these disciples were utterly convinced that he was about to inaugurate this new, epical, historic change, uh, this work of God, where he's going to liberate Israel, defeat enemies. And ultimately, they, they would believe he's going to fix the world. He's going to be pre, being pre, peace on earth. And Jesus was the guy. And imagine how excited they were after centuries of waiting and centuries of suffering. The Messiah finally shows up, and they get to be on the inner circle. And he's, going to, he's now going to go and rout Rome and, 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 and liberate Israel. And they get to be on the front lines of his messianic victory. They were euphoric with hope. And it hits a fever pitch on Palm Sunday. Uh, Sunday before Jesus is crucified as he rides into Jerusalem. And all the crowds are waving the palm leaves saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the highest. And, and, and offering him praise and all that stuff. But the reason they're doing that is because they also believe that he's riding into Jerusalem to kick the Romans out. And so they're like, hail the king. But that's not what happened. And that's why that same crowd turned against him just a couple of days later. So Jesus gets arrested. And then he gets beaten and tortured and humiliated and executed. That's not the way it was supposed to go down. And he gets executed by the very people that they thought he was going to overthrow. So their supernatural Messiah gets reduced down to being simply a, 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 a poster boy for, how, for, the, for, for the terror of Rome. He becomes a terrorizing object lesson. One of the many crucified people out there to keep everyone else from re re rebelling. It couldn't have been worse than that. That's the worst way that a Messiah could possibly die. The Messiah wasn't supposed to die at all. And so their hearts are broken because they love Jesus and now he's been murdered. But their euphoric hope... Their expectation uh, just came crashing to the ground. And they were facing utter despair. Lost all hope. Because if Jesus, with all of his credentials, if he wasn't the real deal, the real Messiah, then there can't be a real Messiah. And there is therefore no hope. They were in a state of despair. But then something strange, something wonderful, something totally unexpected happened. And that is, these, on the Sunday after Jesus crucifixion on Friday, some brave women went to the tomb to pay their respects. And they had to be brave 
Because Jesus was crucified as an insurrectionist, as a rebel, and Rome's policy was anyone associated with that rebellion is also going to be crucified. So these were brave women. And where are the guys? They're back hiding in the, in the, in, in the room. So the women go, and they find that the, the, the stone that covered the tomb has been rolled away, and they find that the tomb is now empty. And they're perplexed by this. You know, what are we to make of this? So they run and tell the disciples. And the disciples, being typical chauvinistic first century Jewish guys, they don't believe the women. Because women weren't given any credibility in ancient Judaism. And so John and Peter run to the tomb, and guess what? They find that the women were telling the truth. Uh, the tomb is empty and stones rolled away. But they also don't know what to make of this. And everybody assumes that somebody stole the body. Until, I don't know where, Jesus starts appearing to them. In a transformed, glorified body, he appears first to Mary, and then to Peter, and then to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then to all the apostles. And he does this for a period of 40 days, showing up out of nowhere, and fellowshipping with them, teaching them, sharing meals with them. That's, that's an important little detail because, you know, if you don't believe the story's true, you have to believe it's false, which means you have to kind of give an explanation for it. And one common explanation among skeptics out there is that, uh, that, that the disciples were hallucinating. They were having hallucinations for 40 days, hallucinating. In fact, there's one guy, honestly, I'm not making this up, he wrote a book, uh, and, and his hypothesis not supported by any evidence, but he, 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 he said that uh, in ancient Galilee back then, uh, there was a certain kind of mushroom that grew on the hillsides, and it was a hallucinogenic. So we, we, now we have to imagine the, the disciples as stoners, you know, they're like popping these, these mushrooms and, and like quaaludes or something, like, oh man, well, do you see Jesus? I see Jesus, hey Jesus. Oh, this is awesome. Jesus came back. Oh, well, that's, that's crazy. Hey Jesus, you should try one of these, but you, you can see yourself then, you know, and, and it, it's, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Folks, uh, I've heard of some pretty spectacular hallucinations. In fact, I've had some pretty spectacular hallucinations. <laughs> I, I shared before that when I was 16 at this Christmas party, I took three hits of mescaline and turned into a Christmas tree. <laughs> so there's that. You talk about being lit up, okay? Was, He's lit up like a Christmas tree. No, I am the Christmas tree. <laughs> but it lasted eight hours, not 40 days, for crying out loud. Look, at hallucinations don't happen to large groups of people at the same time. They're private things. Uh, and they certainly don't happen to large groups of people for 40 straight days. Sorry. And you don't eat and have fellowship with and learn from hallucinations, certainly not over a period of 40 days. Sorry, it's not a hallucination. And the hallucination hypothesis doesn't explain how the tomb got empty. Huh? So, so folks... The reason why Jesus appeared, and why the tomb was empty, why the stone was rolled away, why Jesus showed up and fellowshiped with them, is because God had raised Jesus from the dead, and that changes everything. He walked out of that tomb. Yes, it's not a hallucination, it's reality. Now, the disciples, they, they didn't understand the full meaning of the crucifixion and the resurrection right away. And Jesus knew they wouldn't, that's why he told them, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and lead you into all truth and bring to remembrance all the things I've said and things like that. So it didn't happen right away, but before too long, the disciples came to understand that, that among other things, what Jesus had introduced into the world through his death and resurrection was a completely different kind of hope, unlike anything the world could ever give. Uh, the disciples, in light of the resurrection, they no longer... They no longer um, we're, we're pinning their hopes, and they, they didn't anchor their hope in, in, in wanting to see their enemies defeated and killed. In fact, this new hope that they had, it, it uh, made them love their enemies. 
Completely changed them. And their hope was no longer anchored in the expectation that God was going to quickly liberate Israel and restore it to its former glory. In fact, things got worse for Israel. And four decades after the resurrection, uh, Rome completely crushed uh, the Jews and, and kicked them out of, out, out of uh, Jerusalem. And the disciples' hope was no longer in the expectation that the, even their own suffering and the suffering of their loved ones was going to be alleviated. In fact, after the resurrection... Uh, each of these disciples and some of their loved ones were persecuted and tortured and executed. So, by worldly standards, things didn't go all that well for them. And their, their expectation was no longer that God was going to quickly fix the world. Uh, and be, as we just saw, the world is at least as screwed up now as it was when Jesus rose from the dead. But see, their hope was of a diff totally different kind of thing. They had a hope now that didn't depend... On, on things going well in the world, and it didn't get diminished because things don't go well in the world. Their hope was completely independent of that. And it's because they had seen that on Good Friday, things looked as bad as they could be. That was, that was God-forsaken, and, and it, it looked absolutely ho hopeless. But now they understood that as hopeless as it seemed, God had a plan that was driving towards Easter morning. Easter morning was planned there all along. And they, they came to understand that even though... On the cross, it looks like evil has the upper hand. They came to understand that God actually used that cross, which looks like the epitome of defeat and the victory of evil. God used that cross to ultimately defeat evil, to cause it to self-implode. And that's what the, the, the resurrection proclaims, is God's victory over evil. Their hope was completely different. It was transformed. And so they, they came to see that this whole world is like in a Good Friday world, looking forward to its own Easter morning. We live in a Good Friday world. And so for these disciples, it didn't matter how good or how bad things were going in this Good Friday world. It didn't matter how, if, if it looks like death, sin, and, and, and the devil have the upper hand in this Good Friday world. They knew that God has, has planned an Easter morning. And, and, and it's going to come as a surprise. It will look as different from, from this present world as, as Jesus' resurrection looks different from the cross. But they, we live in a Good Friday world, but it's moving towards, it's moving towards Easter morning, praise God. And, and they became convinced that since, since Jesus' resurrection means that he has defeated death, sin, and evil, they, they came to believe that they and all who trust in him are also going to defeat death, sin, and the devil because they too shall rise again. Amen? And that hope stays. Whatever happens in this, in this God-forsaken Good Friday world that we live in. And folks, this all applies to us because we're still in that Good Friday world. And as we just saw, uh, it, it sometimes looks like, like, like sin and, and evil and death have got the upper hand on everything. But as we keep our eyes fixed on the resurrection, we've got to know that that sin, death, and evil, as prevalent as they be right now, they, will, they don't have the last word. They'll never have the last word. God has the last word. And when he has the last word, they are gone. Amen? If you keep your eyes fixed on the, on the resurrected Lord, then you, you, then you know, you can be confident of this, that death is going to be replaced by everlasting life. Amen? And, and, and the sin of this Good Friday world is going to be transformed into holiness. Praise God. And the reign of evil, the reign of the devil in this present Good Friday world, it's going to give way to the glorious reign of Jesus Christ. And that reign will last forever and forever. Hallelujah. It's good news. And see, under that glorious reign, when he's enthroned on that Easter morning, then, then, then we and the whole creation are going to be transformed and glorified in the same way that Jesus' body was transformed and glorified. I can't wait for that. The older I get, the more I can't wait for that. And, and, 
And see, when, when, when Jesus is enthroned on that Easter morning, then God's love is going to define every square inch of the cosmos. And it's going to define us to the core of our being. And everything, everything that's inconsistent with that love is going to be eradicated. Praise God. And when Jesus reigns on high on that Easter morning, uh, then we and the whole creation are going to be participating forever in the love, the perfect love and the joy and the peace of the triune God. And we and the entire creation are going to be dancing this euphoric dance with the triune God. And folks, that dance is never going to be interrupted. It's never going to be threatened. And it's never, ever going to end, praise God. And I love to dance. It's going to be great. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a good Friday world, and sometimes it just sucks, but, but folks, it's going to get way, way better. However gloomy Good Friday seems, see, we, we, if your eyes are on the resurrection, you know this then, that whatever damage global warming can do, and, and, and it can do a lot, and we should do all we can to resist that, but global warming is not going to have the last word. Uh-uh. And, and, and in light of the resurrection, you can be confident that it... It's just a matter of time before school shootings and mass shootings are, are like a forgotten bad dream. Hallelujah. And it's just a matter of time before this world finally gets rid of all of its stupid guns and stupid bombs and stupid missiles. Amen? Amen? I can't, can't wait for that one. And it's just a matter of time before there's no more threat of terrorists and there's no more war and there's no more failed states and there's no more starving children and there's no more unwanted children and there's going to be no more abortions and there's going to be no more racism and there's going to be no more racism hatred or racial injustice, praise God. And there won't be any more failed marriages and there won't be any more kids acting out and there won't be any more drug addiction. There won't be any more cancer. Finally, creation will be the way God always wanted the creation to be and it will be glorious. The sufferings of this present age can't be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And what about America in this Good Friday world? What about America? What's going to happen to America in this Good Friday world? I have no idea. No idea. Uh, though I'm not optimistic, honestly because of the, 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 the fraying of the social fabric. But you know what? That's okay. Uh, because, folks, our hope isn't in America. <laughs> uh -uh, it's not in America or any other nation. Um, and so our hope shouldn't be improved if, if things are going well in this nation, and they shouldn't be diminished if things aren't going well in this nation. We have a totally different kind of hope. It's not an American hope or any kind of nationalistic hope. It's a hope that is, is, is utterly, it's totally impervious to all the ups and downs of this roller coaster Good Friday world that we live in. All right? Because like the early disciples, our one and only hope is in Jesus Christ who was crucified and now he's raised from the dead. That's where our hope is. And that, folks, is a, that is a solid hope. Put all your eggs in that basket because this resurrected Lord is King of all kings and Lord of all lords and God of all gods. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. He's the Word of God who perfectly reveals the Father. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's, he's, he's the liberator. He's our reconciler. He's our redeemer, praise God. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is assurance and foundation. Put all your eggs in that basket. That is the hope that we have. And nothing in this world affects, affects that. Nothing in the world can diminish that. His resurrection proves that he has, in fact, conquered sin, death, and the grave. He has, in fact, ushered in a new creation. His resurrection proves that he has reconciled humanity to himself. 
He's wiped the slate clean for every human being. His resurrection proves, in fact, that, that, that he has reconciled humanity with itself. Our world still believes deception, so we don't see it manifested, but it should be manifested in the church because the truth is that through his death and resurrection, he's torn down every wall of hostility that could possibly divide people, praise God. Can't wait when that is fully manifested when Jesus reigns on that Easter morning. His resurrection proves that he has saved us and he is transforming us into his likeness. His resurrection proves that this tombstone of demonic oppression and deception that this world has been under for, for, since the fall, that tombstone is going to be rolled aside. And then, folks, we are going to walk out of this Good Friday tomb world into the glorious, magnificent light of God's radiant love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, that sunshine is going to be great. And see, then, folks, all of our tears are going to turn to laughter. And your sorrow, which maybe is so, feels so overwhelming right now, that sorrow is going to turn to joy. And the joy is going to so outrun the sorrow that it's not worth comparing to it. And, and all wounds are then going to be healed and every wrong will be made right. And all, 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 all shame is going to be eradicated, praise God. And, and God's love will define every square inch of the cosmos. Can't wait for Easter morning. Can't wait for Easter morning. The sufferings of this present age, which are, seem so overwhelming... And it can easily lead to, hold, uh, to, to hopelessness. They're not worth comparing to the glory that God has in store for all whose heart is open to him. It's incomparably better. When you look at, when you take a, this is why it's healthy to take a good look at all that's wrong with the world. Because if the glory that awaits us can't be compared to this, well, we can't even begin to conceive how glorious that is. Because this, this world, the, the suffering is, is really quite overwhelming. And yet it's a mere drop in the bucket compared to the glory that awaits us. Let me say one more thing about this. You may be hearing this and, and, and you start to wonder, um, well, okay, look at it. If all of our hope is supposed to be in Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and none of our hope is supposed to be tied up with this Good Friday world, are we just supposed to give up on the Good Friday world? You know, find someone who's suffering and you say, oh, sucks to be you, but hey, someday it'll be good better. Is, should that be our attitude? And the answer is, no. right. The answer is, of course not. And, and this brings me to the last thing that the disciples came to understand about the, the, the cross and the resurrection. They came to see that the cross, the, the resurrection confirms that the cross is not only the perfect revelation of God's character, but it's also the perfect illustration of the kind of character that God's children are supposed to have. The self-sacrificial love that was revealed on the cross is not just the love that God is and the love that God has for us, but it's also the love that we are to be extending to everybody else. Uh, we are called to live a cross. We're called to live the way of the cross, which is the way of self-sacrificial love. In a Good Friday world where almost everyone is just obsessed with what they have and want to get their best life now, we are to be a people who put the character of Abba on display by how we care for others, um, to follow the way of the cross. In some circumstances throughout history and even yet today, to follow the way of the cross meant that you literally have to be willing to die, like Jesus did. You follow his example. But all of us, whatever circumstance we're in, we're called to manifest the self-sacrificial love towards others, to sacrifice of our time and our energy and our resources and whatever we have for the benefit of others. For some folks, um, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're called to, to manifest this kind of self-sacrificial love towards your family and your friends and your acquaintances when, when, when they're in need. And there's some circumstances where that alone is a full-time job. But we're also all called to love strangers and to sacrifice for strangers. And we individually and collectively, as a people who are committed to following the way of the cross, 
We are to take responsibility, to sacrifice of our resources to provide homes for the homeless and to give food to those who are hungry, to care about the poor, and to enter into solidarity with the victims of violence and to be peacemakers and to, to eradicate as much violence as we can from this Good Friday world. And we're called to enter into solidarity with victims of injustice and to let their ouch be our ouch. Uh, and to sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed in order to do that. We're, we're called to love those who are most judged in society, even if it means it's going to tarnish our reputation, uh, if, if that's the sacrifice we have to make. We're called to love all people at all times and to do whatever we can to put on display Abba Father's character for the benefit of others. The cross is not just something God does for us. It's something that God calls us to and that we're to pattern our life after. So folks, we're to pattern our life, pattern your life after the crucified Christ. And put all your hope in the resurrected Christ. I, I find that taking a, a look at the, the hopelessness of the world is, is real beneficial because it helps me do that. I might be tempted to be putting my hope in something in the world, but when, when you see its hopelessness, well, that helps you more passionately cling to the one and only hope that you've got and that the world has, and that is the resurrected Christ. And so when, when you encounter the depressing aspects of this world, um, I encourage you to let the, if you start to feel cynical and hopeless, that's good. Because let that hopelessness and, 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 and cynicism drive you more passionately to cling to the cross of Christ. And when you come upon things that are just nightmares in this world, and they are nightmares, let it remind you that the glory that God has in store for Easter morning, for you and all others who will be open to him on Easter morning, it is, it's not worth comparing even to this nightmare that we find in this world. If you're here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, let me say this. Um, you need hope like everybody needs hope. And I hope that you're feeling hopeless having talked about the hopelessness of this world. But I would like to invite you to embrace the one hope you've got. Jesus, Jesus loved you, loves you with a love that you can't begin to imagine which is why he was willing to become a human being and die on the cross for you. And he would have done it just for you because he loves you like you're the only person he ever created. And he wants a personal relationship with you. Doesn't just want you to believe in him, but to cultivate a relationship. And see, this isn't just about a hope of what's going to happen in the future. You can start experiencing the joy and the peace of eternal life now because that's what you get when you open your heart to Jesus. And doing that is just a matter of surrendering the control of your life over to him. Make him Lord of your life and committing to live this cross way of life and cultivating that relationship with him. And you can do that at any time. I encourage you to seriously consider opening your life to Jesus and following the way of the cross. And then you'll have a hope everlasting, eternal, that is not at all affected by the ups and downs of the silly roller coaster Good Friday world in which we live. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Christ is risen! Amen. And that changes everything. We've got a new kind of hope.